cut you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Andrew on the board. A little late this morning. And uh, S&P futures down 25. NASDAQ futures down 110. Dow futures down 185. Kevin, are you with us? Good morning. With you, uh, both in uh, in physically and in spirit. Um, you realize, of course, why we're late this morning. There's only one man at fault. Only one man at fault. Okay, who are we going to blame? That would be Michael Slim Murphy. Oh, okay. Because he wanted to talk about infrastructure today. So oh, course, okay. So we had to test out the infrastructure. Yeah, so, so Andrew was in the We had to do a little, uh, um, you know, uh, take take to the field to do a little reporting and then talk infrastructure. Oh, so Andrew wanders into the station this morning right on time, and they say, uh, everybody off this train. This train is out of service, so it sits there. Train behind him now can't get through. Then they go, that one starts moving, so we had to take the purple line behind it, and I blame Mike. Totally. Yeah. I can completely agree. Yeah, yeah I mean, he uh, he jinxed us. It always gets back to him. That's what he says. It always gets back to him. So hopefully he will be uh, he, he will be uh, uh, calling in, and uh, at, the, at the end of the break, we'll have him in for a bit. Because this infrastructure is an interesting, an interesting topic, uh, Kevin. It's like, it's like motherhood, you know. We're going to work on infrastructure, and yet... The, the the history of in, of infrastructure in this country is such a a complex and the money and how it, how it's all done is uh, tell you what I would I would love to have somebody from the there's got to be somebody from like the Illinois highways or something about how exactly stuff who pays for what maintenance and construction and then but then major reconstruction I think is different than maintenance. I mean, it's it's really a, a a bleep storm, and I don't and I don't think, you know, when you we, there's no I I think there's there's zero reason for a bill like this if it was done properly. We're not talking about the Interstate Highway Act in the fifties that Eisenhower passed, well, Congress passed and Eisenhower signed, that essentially gave us the the interstate highway system over a long period of time. But then it comes down to I I don't think I don't think most stuff that is passed by anybody in terms of where they get the money, Kevin, has a uh, intended maintenance, uh, budgeted maintenance. I don't think it even comes from the same people. I mean, I, mean, I think it's all, it's all screwed up. And I think, you know, and, and then all of a sudden when everything gets to the point where, you know, 80% of the bridges are, you know, I don't say they're unsafe, but they're, you know, out of, out of this and out of that, then all of a sudden somebody gets a hair up there behind and they have some, some huge bill like this. And I... Well, for, for one thing, Tom, there's there's no coordination. So think back to um, think back to the days of, uh, of long ago and far away the Obama era stimulus bills. Yeah, and there there was indeed because there you know you'd see you'd see the signs on the roads. There was uh, a lot of uh, road improvement, road uh, um, 
road-related, you know, repairs and things like that, because the sign would go up and this would be, uh, you know, it would tell you that this is courtesy of um, uh, of the uh, stimulus bill. And, and so that, that was fine. You know, it was fine that there was a lot. But you recall uh, the uh, infamous interview where the president was saying, well, it turns out that... Um, uh, shovel-ready isn't as shovel-ready as we thought it would be. Oh, no, absolutely uh, not. Yeah. So, you know, we, we throw money at things, but we don't know what, we, when we do these things, we don't know exactly what we're doing to throw the money at it. And and like all legislation, you can fast forward to the current, um, you know, the most recent uh, infrastructure bill, and for starters, only about 20% of it was really infrastructure. The rest was all you yeah. know, political agenda stuff. But aside from that, um, you know, it, it usually gets turned over to agencies to uh, uh, to write the regulations. Well, you know, I would have to ask the question: what was what was the process that the agency scoped out that was going to ensure that um, that we targeted the industries that the legislation was intended to target, and then on top of that, that we. Uh, that we actually disperse the money in ways that would be um, that would build some effectiveness. Well, just to give and a so that speaks that that you know the the flag got raised by the um, the derailment in uh, in Ohio, and and that's fine. That you know the, that has its own implications, but there's so much more to it. It is the roads, it is the rails, it is the ports, but it's also your technology infrastructure too, and that's you know that's the part. Well, the thing really realize there's a lot of, uh, and it's not just pulling fiber; it's 5G build out. It's you know, I mean, you name it. It's all, it's all part of it. Well, when you when you look at railroads, first of all, this is from a business economic perspective. This is such a, a load of crap. Government doesn't pay a dime for rails. Rail, the railroads maintain all that stuff themselves. Where the trucking companies ride on roads. It's never been fair. I mean, obviously, the railroads way back in the day got the property to sell off to build it. But in terms of maintenance, that's all on the railroads. There's there's no there's no government money that goes in to maintain that section of of uh, main line. The idea that you know that people are running around yelling infrastructure on the rails, and plus, if you get to you can't turn into well, a they, they, but let's let's hold on there, and and I don't know the answer to this, but I will ask the question is. What uh, what rail are we talking about, and what what bill are we talking about? Because did the last infrastructure bill speak to rail? I think not. Did it uh, did it commit to uh, uh, to doing something with rail or not? I, I don't know okay, the I'm going to say to what degree it did, but I do believe that it did, had uh, had stuff in there about rail. Now, if I if I know the uh, Biden administration well. It had to do with creating high-speed rail between uh, between cities, so that uh, we could do everything with that's, electric that's ex- instead of. Uh, that's exactly what I'm uh, talking about, Kevin. Is is the uh, and I'm gonna we have a few minutes before, before our break is real late, but I go through a couple of stories trying to give people a sense of how this total piece of crap stew works. Uh, Pete Nigerian, when he lived in Western Springs, John's brother Pete is on CNBC. Love Pete. Pete was on the he was on the something. He was on the council, Western Springs or something. And uh, one of the things they did, they had a, a station in Western Springs, uh, from Burlington Northern, the uh, commuter. 
So the station was, you know, 90 zillion years old, and there, there's no budget for maintenance or anything, so they're going to go out for a new station, a rebuild of the station. So they spec it out. I don't, I don't know how that whole process works. If Pete was here, he probably could tell us. Somehow they spec it out. They get somebody. They get, they get an estimate. I don't know if they, if they have a contractor. Hence, is it really shovel-ready or not? And is the contractor ready to go? Are the materials ordered? I'm going to say they're not shovel-ready. But, but it was, whatever it was, there was a design, there was an estimate, blah, blah, blah. And it waited for years to find a bill. Now, I think this, I think this was before the Obama thing. I think this might have been Bush, that the, uh, all of a sudden there was a big, I don't know what they called it, but there, there's all, every once in a while, all this stuff gets totally backed up, and they have this, quote, bill. Same thing happened with the uh, Inglewood flyover. For, whatever, for years and years, like hundreds of years, the Rock Island and the, the New York Central's old tracks, which is now, whatever, Conrail, or not Conrail, whatever it is, it's, uh, anyway, they would intersect. You'd actually go across a frog. And, and for a long period of time, when you cover a lot of train travel, the, the freight trains would have to wait for the commuters because the commuters get right away. So this was a big bottleneck, all right, especially anywhere during rush hour because the Rock Island's running trains all the time. So the, for years, they thought about this Inglewood flyover where the, uh, the Rock Island trains, which no longer head to New York, they don't have to worry about that, they were going to build an overpass essentially called the Inglewood flyover. Well, now... It would also had to go over to the Dan Ryan, so the, the bridge had to be raised over the dam. It was a big project. I'm going to say, Kevin, this was 25 years in the making. Easy. And then all of a sudden, a bill shows up, and uh, they get the, the train station and Inglewood fly over, I think, on the same bill. And I, I think this was a Bush deal. And then it took, like, God knows how long. But I'm going to, here's, here's the, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to explain as best I can. The, in both cases, now Western Springs is going to get federal money for this station so when you say is it a rail infrastructure i guess so but there's no maintenance to the station involved in that there's nothing having to do with the rail same thing with the Zinglewood flyover it had to do with a bridge over an interstate highway basically so i'm going to say right now the, there's no federal money whatsoever maintaining the rails on that bridge so that's, that's my whole point this is so bleeped up so but all these projects are just are laying in a big stack and so, on a floor in somebody's office in Washington, and every once in a while, no matter who's in office, I'm going to say every eight years, somebody says, holy bleep, Batman, we better get these things moving. We haven't, we haven't built a new station. We haven't remodeled this. In like 20 years, we better get on it. And, ev- and every municipality then dives in for that federal money. But I'm going to say there's no maintenance. I bet, I bet there's not a, you know, 100 grand a year to keep painting the station in Western Springs, whatever you need to do. And the best part was, they had this thing in there for like a million and a half bucks. Pete was telling me one night over, over a glass of wine. In, in the meantime, somebody said, you know what? We can get a really a lot better station for like a million two if we just design it this way. So they go, okay, we're going to change it. And they're going to tell the federal government they didn't need the 300 grand. And the, and the, the guy who was their, not their lobbyist, but their, their advisor said, you can't do that. You're, you're going to miss the bill. Just If you get the dough, just build it the way you said you were going to build it and be happy. <laughs> There's no way you could change it and, and actually save 300 grand, like ship the money back to Washington. It can't happen. So I'm saying this is, it, it's really a hodgepodge. So whenever you get a president of any party or anybody saying, we're going to help infrastructure, well, yeah, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a it's a collection of crap that has been building up for a long time, but there's there's no money ever from the federal government to maintain the Union Pacific rails going across Nebraska. It's all on the Union Pacific, oh, and, and I'm I'm not sure there. 
could be, but I'll go back to your uh, your train station story and say, was that factored in? You know, there's going to be people when there's when there's the ribbon cutting for the train station. There's going to be all kinds of people out there to pat themselves on the back for getting this done. But the question is, is there you know is there going to be hell to pay or at least uh, taxes to pay down the road? Um, and and you know it's going to show up in in somebody's referendum. Should we? Uh, you know, should we create, uh, should we uh, increase or put, do some, some kind of assessment so that, um, uh, you know, so that we can uh, maintain our station? But this all comes yeah. under, I'm going to say, somewhere buried under the Urban Mass Transit Association umbrella. It has nothing to do with rails, with freight rails. That's, that's the big issue with the, uh, the Burlington Northern. They run freight on those, on those rails all day long. So people talk about, well, gee, what, we don't, how can we improve the, the service on the Burlington Northern? First of all, it's a three-track mainline, so they got something going for them. They can run expresses and stuff. But when when freights come down there, they're just bleep out of luck. I mean, so so it's not like that. They're they're telling the Burlington to build another rail just for you know a whole other track just for passenger. I mean, it, it's incredibly complicated, and it's and it's perfect for politicians to just rant and rave on one subject. Perfect for tweets. We need more infrastructure. What does more infrastructure even mean? I mean, but but there's a huge difference between the original construction. The maintenance, and Obama found out, is these, these plans had been sitting there for so long, even though they were they were bill ready, they weren't shovel ready. There was a big difference, right? You know, you know the, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how do what do you do? You, have, you get the contractor in, in 1974, and, and the bill gets passed in 1995, and the guy's still waiting to do it. I mean, you know, how do you do that? Anyway, S and P futures down 26, Nasdaq futures down 107, uh, Nvidia is only down a buck 74. That was a big winner yesterday. I'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, 
Innovation and Human Resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right there, right there. Hello and welcome back to Jacks. I'm Tom Howley. Andrew on the phone after fighting with the infrastructure here in Chicago to get here. So, uh, But we made it. And on the purple line instead of the red line, we kind of shifted over. You know, that, that stuff happens. SP Futures down 26.50 after being up yesterday. We were up and down yesterday, and we finished up, and now we're giving basically all that back here. NASDAQ futures down 108, now futures down 184. This is a way of the mirror image. Just, yesterday we were up 108, and the Dow up 21 in the S&P, and up 83 in the NASDAQ. So we're actually down a little bit more than we were up yesterday over in Europe. We got the DAX down 72.5%, FTSE up 21. Now these guys were down yesterday, everybody else was up, so they're being contrary here now all of a sudden. It's a positive 0.3%. We got the CAC around down 29.4%. We're in Asia, we got the Nikkei, which was down a bunch yesterday, is up 349 today, 1.3%. So flip, flip there. Hang Seng down 341. They're in danger of going under 20,000 after being up like to 23.5. So they're going, they've had the most incredible rally from 14.5 to 23, and now they're heading south almost as fast as they went up. That's a full 1.7%. Shanghai down 20.6%. Bonds, three basis points, 3.91 as we keep creeping towards this 4% number. Bund up two basis points, 2.50. Japan unchanged at 0.50, right at the top of where the government says they can go. Oil up 50 cents, 75.83. Brent up 56 cents, 82.77. Natural gas up 5 cents, 2.36. Arbob unchanged, 2.38. We've got gold down 2.10, goes down like every day now, in 18.24. Silver down 25 cents, 21.05. Copper down 4 cents, 4.01. Bitcoin down 74 bucks, under 24,000, 23,908. The U.S. dollar, which has been pretty steady now, is actually up a little bit today. Uh, the euro is down to 1057, and the British pound down to 1197 after being 1235 for a while. So, dollar strengthened pretty much over the last few weeks. And we got for us, Trevi Weather Sports. All right, it is uh, February 24th, 6:38 a.m. Uh, starting off with sports. Uh, tonight, the Bulls are going to be playing the Nets at 7 p.m. Chicago time. And the Suns are going to be playing the Thunder at 9 p.m. Chicago time. Uh, also on Saturday, the Blackhawks are going to be playing the Sharks at 9 p.m. Chicago time. Uh, over to Chicago weather, it is currently 
19 degrees, clear skies. Uh, gonna have a high above 27 today, so it's gonna be a cool one. Over in Phoenix, we're at 44 degrees, mostly clear skies, and they're gonna have a high of 65. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, not too much to report this morning. Uh, traffic is a little bit heavy in the middle of the Stevenson, uh, inbound Stevenson, and otherwise the inbound roads are building up some traffic, but uh, no accidents to report. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. The, uh, do we have Mr. Murphy? Yes, you do, Tom. Hey, uh, Kevin and I were talking about infrastructure after you caused the Andrew to be late today. Uh, the uh, oh, is it, and we're all, but also since it's the one year anniversary of uh, the Ukraine war, I wanted to get your thoughts on that a little bit. But uh, what do you make of what we were talking about before the break? The I mean, I, I I'm not I'm not a naysayer at all. And when you guys when you guys when everybody talks about we need to to do some work here, but it's if you're you know I guess I got got privy to this when I was doing some of the bids for for Pullman and how you know the whole the whole inf- infrastructure of somebody's CTA could fall apart or Boston or whatever and all of a sudden one year they decide okay we need you know 300 new cars or whatever how big the system is now we don't buy another car for 30 years and oh man we need like another 400 I mean it's it is so screwed up and has been for so long I don't, I don't even know where to start I mean when, because when I, you it's a, a favorite topic of yours but it's like you, you have to take each little spot you know individually I mean you got interstate highways, which the federal government obviously paid mostly for. And it was like 85 or 90 percent, as I recall. And then maintenance, I think they still pay a lot of that. But now you got your U.S. highways, U.S. 12, U.S. 20, U.S. 45. I don't know how much do they pay for that. Then you got your state highways. Now that bridge, is, I think, is all in the state. And then you've got your municipal streets and overpasses. It's all in, it, is, it is an absolute can of worms with money flying back and forth. And, and if you can get any money out of these bills, they wait until stuff doesn't work anymore, until it's condemned. I mean, it's it's a total bleep storm. I, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, when you start talking about the bridges, eighty percent of them are substandard. I don't know how many of those are are federal, state, municipal. I mean, it's a and who's supposed to pay for what and where? I mean, Mike, it it, it is a. I'm going to say it's an absolute snake pit of stuff. No, I agree with you, Tom. And uh, you know, bridge maintenance is. That's probably one of the worst things we do. Um, and I contrast that with the Germans. You know, when the Germans needed to maintain something, they did it, and they built things. And it, it just uh, it amazed me how well the Germans operated on their infrastructure and how poorly we do it on ours. And I think some of that's tied to uh, the corruption involved, but who knows? Well, it's not... It's not- it's not budgeted. I, uh, former Mayor Daly, quick story, and I want to talk about the Ukraine a little bit and get Kevin back in. Uh, he was talking about, uh, they went out for new CTA cars. And he said something about, how come there's nobody in Chicago that makes CTA cars? You know, because he knew I worked for Pullman. I go, well, Mayor, I mean, it's just you and me. It's guys like you. What, how, how do you wait around 10 years for another contract and keep your business together? I mean... He goes, well, how should we do it? I said, I'll tell you how you should do it. There should be a manufacturer here. You've got um, however many, say you got got 1,000 CTA cars, which is probably the number, maybe 800 or something. Divide that by how long they last, which is probably 25 years. They're stainless steel. So you figure out how many do you need per year, per month. So, so you have somebody, I'm going to say you need two delivered a month all the time, and a, which is a married pair. I mean, people don't know CTA cars and a lot of your... City city transit cars you can't ever take them apart because they're, they're they're not all parts on all cars. Long story, but no, no, nobody needs to hear. But 
I said, you need somebody to produce two of these a month. The design stays steady. When there's an improvement, you do it. And by the way, if at the end of 12 years, uh, you just wheel them right back to the place. You have a major overhaul. Maybe every year you run through for a, a minor overhaul. You replace lights and this thing, other thing. I said, and that way, you probably have 50 to 70 people working there forever that know what they're doing, that know every inch of the car. And, and this, this goes like clockwork for you. You never have to worry about it. He said, instead of waiting for the whole thing to fall apart and all of a sudden none of the air conditioners work, nothing works, we need 300 new cars. I mean, Pullman built 750 subway cars from New York when I first got there. The R46 cars, 746. They had a new car for like 10 years. I mean, how does that even begin to happen? Mike? We, we know how to do it. Here's the maintenance schedule. The car's going to last 25 years. Then we're going to scrap it. Oh, by the way, after 12 years or 13 years, it gets a major overhaul. This all should be scheduled in advance, right? It's, it's not. Bridge is the same way. You know you know how quickly they're going to go down. I mean, if it's metal, a metal, uh, I mean, you know, probably did more about engineering and this stuff in your army years. A, a, a very well-built steel b- bridge, if maintained properly, will last till you know, the year 2500, for God's sake. Easy. But how many of them are well-maintained? They all rust and they got to come down, right? Right, exactly. And, uh, and that's what uh, you know we do poorly. I mean, look at the cities, you know, Pittsburgh and well, Cleveland, I guess, and then that the, the bridge in uh, you know between uh, Kentucky and Ohio that McConnell and Biden made a big deal out of. You know, they finally maintain it, and then it becomes a you know a national photo op. So yeah, it just you know it's just kind of ridiculous. Well, talk talk to us a little bit about is, is part of ahead, the problem Ron. that that government is basically does all their accounting as cash, um, so that uh, you know when think things are either on the books this year or off the books until next time, and therefore you know there's there's nothing in the way they even think about this. Um, you know, it, in fact, there's incentive uh, not to have it because you want to spend your money elsewhere. Um, whereas if you had a depreciation line to manage, they might look at it differently. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Kevin. And uh, I also think it involves the process. You know, they have to solicit bids and then, you know, judge the bids and figure out who's, you know, which is the cheapest bid, I guess, and then move on from there. Well, it also has to do with, if it's new, it's probably not your money. If it's maintenance, it might be your money. So it actually, for a long time, it it was uh, it behooved you to let the bridge fall apart in Chicago, then need a new bridge because it was an emergency situation, then actually maintain it. So I, I think the, the the way the money flies back and forth, Kevin. I think you're absolutely spot on with that. I wish I knew more about it, but I think I think. But all of us, I mean, if we're politicians, it's a different world. We'd we'd love to have the shovel taking the first, you know, spade in the ground for. A new railroad bridge. Meanwhile, there's there's four highway bridges right next to us that need maintenance. If you had five people working on those, there's no sex in that, right? There's no photo yeah. op. And, and what I'm getting at too is everybody loves it when depreciation expenses zero, but they hate it when you finally have to spend, and all of a sudden, you know, you're now now you're uh, especially if you're expensing at 100 percent in the first year. Now your expense line looks you know looks crappy. And but in in my days working for publicly traded companies, um, you know it was really all about 
you know, trying to, it just in managing uh, technology expenses. It was always about trying to uh, keep a flat or maybe slightly increasing, depending on, you know, wh- what kind of investments we needed, um, but keeping that depreciation line, uh, you know, manageable because you didn't want it to drop off to zero because then the next time, you know, if you come back the next year and you need something, it is, you know, you all of a sudden see this spike up, and of course your uh, CFO is going to go nuts and say that's going to screw up our quarterly reporting. <laughs> yeah. So you want to, you know, you want to manage it that way. It's exactly what you were talking about with uh, with your Mayor Daly story, and uh, and and I think it's it's so true. But in government, you know, when when you uh, when you don't have to manage that particular expense line, then. Oh, good. That means more money elsewhere to spend. I think it would be it would be very helpful, and I don't know how to do it, uh, to figure out like the difference between like the Lagrange Road Bridge, which is twelve twenty forty five. Those are U.S. highways, versus like the Burn Interchange, which is an interstate highway that went on for eight or nine years. In terms of who, what percentage is who paid for what, and why, and why. It, it, why things are left to the p- left to the point where they need to be a total redo, and I'll bet th- you know. I, I think th- th- to figure out, I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna I would lob one out there, and if a listener knows better, I'm gonna say 85 percent of the burn interchange was paid for by the federal government. Where I'm gonna say the Lagrange River Bridge, maybe it's 50. You know how much of that's Lagrange, how much of that's the state, how much of the municipalities. I think it, a lot of it has to do with where the money's coming from. That's why you you really want to be on one of these infrastructure bills however every president seems to if they're in their eight years virtually every president has one of these things republic republican or with a different name to it right i mean uh I'll tell you what when when bush got elected i was coming back from uh or he wasn't elected he obama had just gotten elected so i'm coming back from tucson and i get from the i what is it i-40 or it used to be 66 and it's i-40 going across uh new mexico and you pile into Texas, and all of a sudden, you went from a road that had to be, what do they call it, Mike, where you take the asphalt off and put it on again about 100 times, and you the uh, you know, you know re- you redo the top, and you leave the base the same, and all of a sudden you get, as soon as you go over the border, Texas was brand new concrete. I'm thinking, God, if this is what it means to have a, a president from your state, I'm all for it. But, of course, Obama didn't do crap for Illinois, I don't think. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with who's president and what state. I mean, it's, it's crazy who gets this dough. I think you're right, Tom. I mean, the only I did see a positive result from the Obama shovel-ready stuff. Uh, it was a state road in Ohio. It was Route 33 coming from like Parkersburg, Parkersburg, Virginia, all the way up to Columbus. And you know, all along that road, they uh, had it all the signs for Obama, and they were doing a lot of work. And you know, it was a positive result. They they fixed the road. They built new uh, portions of the road. So, I mean, some of what Obama did at least had some result. But, I mean, I didn't see much out of the old shovel-ready uh, bill that he had uh, going there. Well, I, I don't know. I guess what I'm, I'm fumbling to find here, and I think none of us know the answer, somehow in, in these bills, if you do it properly, you actually can get a chunk of federal money for what you're talking about as a state road. I'm going to say I've been in Ohio. I think the 33 is a state road. It's not a U.S. road. So, 
uh, when I say U.S. highway, it's U.S. 30, U.S. 12, those kinds of things. So somehow or another, Mike, if you do it right and you wait just for one of these bills, somehow the state can pile in where that maintenance is now part of the new bill, and it's not just the state. And I think guys are in the state, the state people, they're dying to do that. And I don't, I don't know how that all works. But somehow or another, you're right. You'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a state bridge that's falling apart all of a sudden with federal money. Where I think the maintenance before that is all on the state. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm thinking I'm trying to explain here. And well, then, and, you know, and, and you can see that with toll roads. Like, for instance, the, the Ohio toll road, you know, the turnpike up in northern Ohio, that's maintained very well. The West Virginia turnpike is maintained very well. I don't know how any of the roads in Illinois are maintained, but I'm sure I'll bet you that the toll roads do okay. So, I mean, once it's, if it's privatized, I get, and I guess the toll roads now are privatized, uh, they pay for themselves. Well, they also raise the rates to the point where how many people are, are, are on the dole there? The bureaucracy of the toll road is obscene. Yeah, but at least it's, well, hopefully it's paying for itself. I mean, and the Ohio Turnpike is actually very good. And the Pennsylvania Turnpike seems to always need work, but I think that's just because of the heavy use of it. Well, but Kevin, you wasn't contrast the... the Pennsylvania Turnpike with I-80, and the Pennsylvania Turnpike is getting maintained. Well, I think that when the Tri-State Tollway, which is the, the tollway that goes around Chicago, it's the, the, what's the term, circumferential, Mike and Kevin? It goes around the municipality where you want so people don't have to so people going from place to place don't have yeah, to go through downtown. Basically, it's a bypass. Yeah. So I'm going to say, Kevin, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, as a Chicagoan, when they passed that bill, they were going to charge tolls. They were going to build it, and I believe the tolls were supposed to be gone by 1970. And I'm going to say they are not only not gone, they're a lot higher. They keep finding another yep. toll road to build somewhere. They put another lane on the thing all the time. You'll, you'll never, no bureaucracy will ever go out of, out of, out of business. And by the way, the, the guys that collect your change, Mike, they're still not back from COVID. So, so you have to <laughs> have, you, yeah. They, they, they said it was too dangerous for these guys with COVID. They actually, you can't go through there. But now there's, because they used to have two different, uh, that's what I talk about with CPI is always difficult to do. They had two different rates where if you got the easy pass, uh, so you were like a native, you could you it was like say a buck. But if you didn't, if you're just coming from South Dakota to New York and you're a Dumbo, it was like two bucks, right, Kevin? They charge you like twice as much if you allegedly for cash, but really it was a stupido tax if you didn't have the easy pass. Same way with uh I think I think my easy pass gets me all the way to Washington, does I know it works on the Ohio turn. Yeah, your easy pass pretty much goes everywhere now. And for a while it didn't. I mean, it, it got me to Ohio. I went to see the Cubs play in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and, as, and as soon as I got in Pennsylvania, Mike, it didn't work. And it cost me a fortune in cash just to go from the Ohio line to Pittsburgh, for God's sake. It was like 20 bucks or some number. It was huge. Well, the easy well, pass just does a, a not work. A couple more comments because you brought up, up to, the, uh, the toll road. Do, uh, do Mike first. Um, we got, you guys are both talking. Mike first. Okay. Mike, for, you're um, first. There is another... Uh, you were talking about something now. I forgot the train of thought. I'm, I'm well, sorry. Let, Go ahead. Well, let Kevin talk about toll roads, and you tell Who us about Ukraine. Judge. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, tell us about toll roads, and you tell us about Ukraine. You have five well, minutes. Well, I, I just want to mention that, you know, that the uh, uh, Tri-State Toll Road is perpetually under construction. I did notice the last time I drove through a construction zone that they had what appeared
appeared to be transponders being built into the uh, the median wall or the the center wall, um, which actually you know it, I I can't I I've been trying to find out if what they're doing is building out 5G infrastructure, but I'm kind of hoping they are um, that they're you know that they're actually starting to think it through and saying what else needs to be part of this infrastructure upgrade, um, and and that they're making it that so. You know, there's at least there's that much going on, and I, I think that's actually a good thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of hopeful. You know, we'll we'll see, but uh, um, but I'm a little hopeful that uh, um, that we're going to uh, uh, you know we, we're thinking something through. Well, when you so easy I'll pass. mention that, but I'll also uh, you know when we talk about um, infrastructure in general, it really. You know, we, we do have to look at things like just hardening the power grid, hardening our technology infrastructure, and, and you know, you're never going to make anything hack-proof or damage-proof or attack-proof, um, but, and, and I'm sure that we can find all kinds of foolish ways to try uh, and spend a lot of money, but in general, that is an area, that whole cybersecurity area is a big part of infrastructure that we need to work on, and I think I, I have no confidence that that's being addressed. Well, we're addressing the article I talked about the other day. We don't have time this morning to go over it again, but we're, we're replacing or repairing 1% of our our uh, power grid per year in order to get anywhere near the goal of anybody needs for electric cars and everything else. That needs to be almost 2.5% a year, so we're not even close. Anyway, Mike, t- bring us up to speed on what Ukraine one year and counting. Okay, they're... Uh, they're um they're battling over that uh, the town or the city of Bakhmut, and they've been doing that for quite a while. And they're expending on an awful lot of ordnance. The Russians are getting ordnance now, I think, from the Chinese, and the Ukrainians are getting ordnance from us. So they will continue to, to uh, battle there. I don't know what's going to happen with the fighter jets. It sounded to me like uh, the Brits were going to give the Ukrainians fighter jets but then you know it's you have to maintain and not maintain you have to train the people to fly the jets so i don't know uh what the uh or what the reaction of the russians will be if the brits start flying uh planes or we start flying planes and it was interesting to me how biden got there uh you know through the train system and they, somebody had, I think it was MSNBC, had a, the the uh, CEO of the Ukrainian Railways on television, and and they haven't supposedly they have not missed a uh, a train departure. You know, they've all been on time. So that to me is amazing. That and the Ukrainians are using their trains to supply the front. So. We'll see how all of this goes, but uh, and then I want to see what happens when the weather improves, and supposedly the Russians are massing troops uh, in Belarus in order to make another drive toward Kiev. So that's another development that uh, remains to be seen how that works out. Well, with the tanks, you mentioned the the tank training was going to the, the the people were going to go to Germany. Is that you think the same thing is going to happen with the fighter jets? And also, Mike, real quick, we don't really have that much time, but early on, everybody was complaining, especially Lou, about how virtually all the 
the help seemed to be U.S. and Europe was very slow. Well, now all of a sudden, that not all of a sudden, but that all that has gradually all changed. Isn't Europe? I don't know about in terms of actual shells, but aren't they contributing now way more than fifty percent of the aid when when we used to be? No, I don't think they're contributing way more than fifty percent, Tom. It might be close to even, but I still would say that we are giving the predominance of aid. Uh, yeah, I saw that same it, number, um, Mike. Uh, I, I saw that, uh, like I think yesterday, and we're still way out ahead. Okay, because right, and and that's kind of the way we finance NATO too. I mean, we're way ahead on uh, NATO expenditures too. I mean, we we uh, provide about seventy five percent of the NATO budget on an annual basis. So, I just don't see that changing. The the Europeans always undersell, not undersell, but underfinance everything, and you know they are essentially getting the free help from us. And well, that's that's you know, and in one aspect of that, Trump was right. Get the get the uh, Europeans to pony up for their defense. Well, the next time you're on, let's talk a little bit about: Do we really want it that way? Because we want to run it. Well, traditionally, it, maybe not today, but maybe the yeah, time no, it, but that's yeah. a good point. I mean, we do have a, a a certain amount of power because we do finance everything. But, you know, what we're doing is we're giving the isolationists like uh, Rand Paul, and now there's a lot of Republicans speaking out against uh, why do we keep funding Ukraine when, you know, essentially the U.S. is going broke, too. So, you know, I can see the argument both ways, but we need to defend Ukraine, and we need to stop the Russians. You can't have the rule of law without stopping the Russians. Yeah, I don't know. This guy, Putin, I mean, the idea that you could trust the guy to say, give me this and I'll stop, he's like Hitler to me. I don't. Well, he's not a rational actor. You're right about that. Well, S&P Futures down 27. Uh, Thank you, Mike. A bit of news before we go, and that is the uh, supposedly uh, the Chinese were going to come out with a uh, peace proposal today. Yeah, uh, probably give half the, uh, the Russia-Ukraine war. I bet it's give half so, Ukraine to the Russians. Well, it, it may be. I haven't. Right. I haven't seen that. But what? Uh, but but it is interesting that uh, um, that that role of being the mediator of all of this um, could turn out to be um, one of the most provocative uh, countries in the world. Well, I mean, I we talked uh, actually last time you were on, Mike, about this. This is never going to happen between Zelensky and Putin. It's going to have to be somebody over the top. You would hope it would be somebody here, but if not, you know, the Chinese can pull it off. More power to them, I guess. Huh? Well, I mean, unless uh, uh, the Crimea is uh, considered and given back to the Ukrainians, Zelensky isn't going to settle for anything less. I'm so. not so. Yeah, he might. He, he might have to be talked out of that, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not right. But anyway, SP Futures down 28, and SP Futures down 112. You guys have a nice weekend. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about the Irish being the NCAA. Uh, <laughs> anyway, okay, oh come on! You saw what you saw what our buddy Dave wrote. They're going to win the ACC tournament. Oh God! I, th- I think Dave must be going to the recreational marijuana joint out there once. Yeah, in a while. I no, Virginia Tech will win. I want some of his stash. Yeah, I want some of his stuff. We got. We'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks.
This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 403 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727, that's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. That's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. What it well, I'm up Sometime I'm in on the board. SP futures down 29.50. As if futures down 114. So we're down more than we were up yesterday. Do we have uh, Mr. Carl? We do. We have the uh, PCE number coming out today. The, the mystery number that the Fed looks at very closely. That nobody knows what's in it. And as, as Carl was nice enough to send me a chart, because I couldn't find it. Uh, the PCE has averaged over the last three years 4.7 increase a year. And I'm going to say that I hope the, the Fed is, is must be doing some kind of bong with that number because that I'm going to say that inflation just about everywhere is 30% over the last three years. I mean, uh, what, cars are up 8.8% 8 .8 a year and houses are up God knows what, so I don't know where they're getting this 4.7, Carl. It's probably, it's probably half of the real number. Well, yeah, and you know, one of the things that's, that's a pervasive issue with the CPI index when regard, is regards food, which, of course, uh, you know, they try to say, well, you know, that's not core, but 
but then again, who among us does not have to buy it, right? Um, <laughs> is that there's a distortion in the way the data is collected in that they look at shelf prices but not actual register tapes. And there's a problem with that because if you know if you have one of these reward cards from any of the major grocery chains, they run sales every week. So you know this week the the baby back ribs are on sale, and next week it's ground beef, and the next week it's, you know something else. And what has happened over the last year or so is that those discounts have basically disappeared. So now. The, the ticket price is much closer to the shelf price. And two years ago, that was not true. Okay, it hasn't been true for forever. And so, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of stuff in the grocery store that I can look at, and it's, it's a clean double over the last 12 to 24 months. Yeah, I think, uh, I actually think that... Uh Overall, Carl, some of the, especially, I don't know what's what's with our area here, but I wouldn't want to be a pork producer. Those prices are lower than they were before COVID. If you get them on sale in places, I mean, and, and chicken is, is sneaking sort of the same way. It's uh, there's there's stuff that's down. I, but but that's the way the market always is. I mean, but I don't see how you can how the hell you can feed a feed you know a pig at the current corn prices and all of a sudden uh, and soybean prices and then be, and sell the stuff for a buck seventy a pound. But I mean, it's happening. Well, it's, uh, you know, there's there's distortions that happen normally, yep, and are an, and are a common thing. Uh, the you know the back and forth of that dynamic. You have very low feed prices. Farmers buy, you know, they, they buy or breed more animals. Uh, then the feed price goes up, and oops, we we slaughter them all earlier than we otherwise would. We send them to the lots and get them fattened up, and you know, and, and slaughter them. Yeah, because now it's getting expensive, and then oh, what happens after that? Well, gee, there aren't so many of them in the pipeline behind that, so the price goes up, right? So I mean, this, that sort of cyclic thing has has been going on forever, ever since I've been paying attention to this data, and it's and it's not unusual. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, when you look at the averages, and, and I'm not just I'm not talking about things like. You know, like uh, you know, baby back ribs, which which do fluctuate. You know, even even chicken breasts. Uh, I'm I'm talking about bog standard staples like yeah. cheese. Okay, which which fundamentally comes from milk production, right? I mean, when you think about it. So and that's where where I'm seeing extraordinary increases over the last twelve to twenty four months, and it's and it's not just in the in the shelf price. It's on the actual price paid because of the discounts that used to be there have disappeared. Well, last night we were we we're tipping an adult beverage, and one of the guys, his, his dad is a, well, he was I guess he was a big shot at Hornblower and Weeks, and then Morgan Stanley, and had a trem- tremendous career in, in the financial industry. Uh, it was he, somewhere we went to buy his regular toothpaste, and he says, you know. This doesn't seem quite. The guy's like eighty-five. Yeah, it doesn't seem quite as big. So he goes home and compares it. Instead of six point four ounces, it's now six. And somehow he dug out a receipt from like a year ago. It's up like fifteen percent in addition to being down point four ounces. I think you're seeing that all over the place. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff of that. You know, it's just one of those things where you just go, "What the?" Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, so 
I mean, that's just one of the things that I, you know, that I have uh, a lot of issues with. But it's it, we'll we'll see what this number comes in at. My my guess is it's going to be hot. If it's not, I'm going to be stunned. Yep. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, since nobody, you can't even go through the detail like I can go through the CPI. But it's that's right. But you find that the stuff that is, I mean, the last. A uh, month or two. I mean, because of Audrey working real hard, and on weekends she's real busy, and plus we had a couple of funerals, all kinds of stuff. We've been actually eating out more than we normally do. And I'm going to say, Carl, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty observant on this. Any any place you go now, if you're not if the the ratio of what it's costing them to what they're charging you is, it's pushing six to one, which is I've never seen anything that high. You know, it's always been. I mean, when I was younger, when I left Pullman, I'm going to say it was. Two and a half to one, then maybe three. What I'm talking about is, if you if you get a, a, a you know a, a pork chop, that and the, and the place is uh, paying, you know, three bucks for the pork chop, they used to charge you nine. Well, now I'm going to say, Carl, you can get you can get pork chops if you look around for a buck seventy nine a pound, and a twenty ounce pork chop is going to be twenty five dollars anywhere. I mean, that's uh-huh. I mean, that's I mean, pasta is is you know. Beyond belief. I mean, I, I'm a pretty good Italian cook. Nothing like uh, our buddy uh, Kenny Kenny Polcari, But uh, I'm going to say I could pass up this room for twenty bucks. If you you can't find a plate of spaghetti in Chicago here for less than twenty two bucks, and I know what it costs. I mean, it, it costs you know it's what is it a buck ten a pound for God's sake? And a pound what do you, what do they give you? Four ounces maybe? Uh, you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, you know, it, that's that's all the the internalized costs that the restaurant has. Uh, some of which is, you know, it's been the labor crazy. Some of it is the real estate crazy, which you know, when that lease comes up, right? Uh, and some of it is the externalities of the tax environment that have just uh, it's just gone crazy. You know, you, you were talking about the stuff with the, you know, with the Chicago roads and the bridges. Do you remember? You 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 have to because you were there when it happened. When I when I was running MCS. When they were they were working on the deck, the Michigan Avenue bridge, and some idiot unlocked it. Yeah. And and for those who are unaware, the those those lift bridges, the counterweights are very precisely balanced based on the weight of the decking and the you know the, the road surface. Well, when you tear the road surface up, of course, now the you know the counterbalance for that weight down there is not what it's supposed to be. So this thing rapidly rises. And dismounts itself off the off the pinions on the other yeah, end. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it took them a little while to fix that. <laughs> well, for those that don't, these are what's the word is a bascule style bridge, correct? Yep. And what happens is you have this essentially it's the half the bridge that comes down, and and and, and it's strong enough to take unsupported to take all the road. They don't they don't hook up in the middle. Right. They so. It, so, but there's when it comes up, there's a huge counterweight on a thing. Otherwise, you could never lift it. Actually, the the motor I think for one of those bridges, Carl, is about the size of one in an old VW Bug. Yeah, the, yeah. The 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 actual. I mean, it's it's all done to balance. Yeah, and, and that's. I mean, that's that's what makes them work because the the amount of power required to lift that road deck. If there, if that was not the case, or to forget about it, you couldn't do it. Well, it's to the point where if. If if Carl and I, if we just to be in a couple knuckleheads, if nobody was on the bridge, and we went out there and started sanding the paint off, once we got maybe four hundred pounds of, of paint sanded off, we're going for a ride up, right? I mean, that, I mean that's how sensitive they are. 
I mean, it's, well, yeah, I mean, uh, but they do they do have a lock, right. but, right. but but some idiot released it when they were working on it. Well, the guy had now the guy the guy was an idiot. Okay, so what happens is the the, the, the you know the opinion is in a big. Uh, it's almost like a wheel and axle combo, right? Where the thing lands in these two things that move. Well, it popped out of there, right? So it popped. Right. It popped like you know twenty feet to one side, and how many feet to the other side? And it's just standing there. Well, now of course that guy's a moron, but th- they got some guy or a couple of guys in there and said, "How do we fix this thing?" Carl, I don't know if you saw that. It was the most fantastic things I've ever seen. Some guy got a bunch of hydraulic jacks and moved it like an inch, then an inch, then an inch up. And somehow, without having it fall on everybody, dropped it back in the pinion, and the bridge was fine. Yeah, but they, yeah, they were able to remount it. I was I was actually rather impressed. Well, because if they had to build a new one, the Michigan Avenue Bridge, for those who don't know, is a double decker bascule bridge. It's an upper and lower part. It's an it's an amazing, over engineered piece of something, right? I mean, whoever designed that designed it for the ages, correct? So they so even though somebody tried his best to screw it up, they were able to just drop it back in, readjust it, and it was good to go. Yeah, it was a it was a <laughs> I, I remember that well because you know, of course they're, they're like, Oh no and I was like, uh yeah. yeah. And, you know, my office was right down the road as two poor at the time. Well then some guys got uh, hurt because stuff stuff flew off it. I mean it was it was a few people got hurt, right, when it popped up. Yeah, there was well because the material that was on there, you know, went flying. I mean, yeah. it was you know, it was basically like a trebuchet that that got launched. Carl, do you have any? I mean, we're, we 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 sure as hell can't give a lesson on it today. But do you do you have any uh, any specific? I mean, I, I have a pretty good idea of how all this kind of works between the maintenance and the new new part, and if it gets bad enough, and you, you get yourself on a bill, and your congressman is good enough to get it in the bill. Uh, that's why congressmen, you know, you got to pay attention out there because otherwise everybody else will get the money and you won't. Uh, do you have an idea like w- what the maintenance and stuff is supposed to be like on interstate highways versus U.S. highways versus state highways versus, you know, bridges in the city? I mean, it seems like given the, the proper environment, for lack of a better term, all that can sort of get on one of these bills if you get it on there correctly, but then afterward there's no maintenance if they help if, if they give money to replace, like, the Western Avenue Bridge in Blue Island or something, I think once you're done, it's all Blue Island, right? Or is it the state? Or, I mean, how, how does, do you have any idea how all that works, or is it just every, different every place? Um, well, I don't have a real good uh, knowledge base on exactly how that's structured, but I, I'm sure it's different in different states. But the, 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 anything that touches the interstate highway system is, is you know, is, of course, heavily federally paid for. Um, so, and, and then, you know, you get into all kinds of other questions. I mean, there was a, good God, there was, where I used to live in Florida, there was this, this, uh, resurfacing on 98, which is the road that goes through Destin, and uh, uh, that was a goat rodeo. This thing was supposed to be a, a winterish project when there's fewer tourists down there. It went over budget and over time by like a year and a half. And and was and was a disaster because you know you get all the tourists down there and it's not done and you got traffic you know all the traffic's on one side instead of the other because the other two lanes are still tore up and oh good lord but this was just uh, you know this is the way that it, it ends up working out and nobody ever pays for those kinds of of overruns and screw ups so it just never happens and you know there's the, 
Is it corruption? Well, I would bet it is. I, some of you know, once in a while, okay, you get nailed with bad weather and, and you can't work it. You know, the conditions are not conducive to it. So, I mean, I get that, but uh, aren't you supposed to build those windows into a project like this? I would think you would, kind of like you'd you'd say, well, you know, we need to buy a, you know one train car a month, right? Uh, or one pair anyway. Yeah. But you know, same idea. But no, 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 no. We can't do things like that. We we have to wait until the slush machine gets around to spitting out the funds that go to particular favored constituencies, and it. It, it, that brings up something I, 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 I want to make sure I mention today before this number comes out, and that's this thing in Ohio. At the NTSB's preliminary report showed up yesterday afternoon, and there's all kinds of conspiracy folks that are that have been running around the internet with this, and I and I've been swatting at them like like bugs on a windshield for the last you know, the last two three days. The trackside detectives were working. There were three of them that were on route that noted conditions that indicated that a failure was going to occur. The first one was, was maybe you can ignore it, showed that the temperature was 38 degrees above the outside temperature, above the ambient on that particular axle. Ten miles later, they come by another one, and that one now shows 103 over ambient. Now... For reference, at 115 differential between the axles on a truck, that is a stop and inspect threshold, okay? The next detector is 19.2 miles down the track. Now, if you're a train guy and you're sitting in the cab and you just went by two of these things 10 miles apart and you saw a 40-ish degree rise in 10 miles, What's the what's the temperature going to be twenty miles down the track? Assuming that this that uh, you know what you're seeing progresses, right? You're gonna have a disaster on your hands. Oh, we're not over the safety threshold. We don't have to stop and go. If you've got the ability to rub two nickels together, stop that train. You and to do this and didn't do it Carl, you're breaking and, up. When you're breaking went, up a bit. and when they went past the third detector the temperature reading was 253 degrees and over 200 is a critical fail um, just as a as a way to just my own thought I mean I, I, my brother knows way more about freights than I do because I was more of a passenger guy but these trains some of these trains are a mile long and there's no oh, yeah. and there's no caboosman, so if you have something like that and you're going to stop and check it out, how the hell do you do it? You know, you, you don't get out and walk a the locomotive guy, the engineer's not going to walk a half a mile or three quarters of a mile back down the track to check it out. What does he do? Well, that's a good question. And then then the next one is: is there a siding long enough that you can get off the main, or are you going to block the main doing that? I'm going to say the answer is no on the siding. No, there's not. Siding. But well, you know that's an awfully long siding, right? Yeah. So I mean, I you know there's there's a bunch of questions that come into this, but the but the fact of the matter is that the 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 equipment on the side of the track was working, and it provided plenty of warning for anybody who was competent to be operating dangerous machinery to know that there was a progressive failure in process 
and exactly when it was going to go critical was not a known factor, but that it was likely to happen before they got to the next sector where they'd have confirmation that it was outside range, was anybody that can do grade school math knew this. So did they apply to breaks? Well, so the, according to NTSB, now, I don't think we have yet the cab data, you know, data um, coalesced with the outside information yet, because uh, they, they, they didn't mention that they've got the data from the cockpit recorder, essentially, but, I, but there was no mention in the report, so I don't think they've got that coalesced yet and, uh, you know, and, and rationalized with the trackside detectors and things. When they went past the third detector that showed the 253 degrees, at that point, they had the train under dynamic braking. So for those who aren't aware of what that is, it's, it's regenerative braking, much like you'd have in a Tesla when you have it in that mode. You take your foot off the gas, and, and the motor is used as a generator, and you dump that energy. Now, on a train, there isn't a battery, but you dump it into a big resistor pack. That's what that that hat-looking thing is on top of the engine. And and that's, that is a... They had this on before they got to that detector, so I'm assuming that they were on a mild downward grade and that the dynamic was enough to... You know, they didn't have to use the service brakes to control the speed of the train. Uh, and the train was not beyond the speed limit for that section of track, so what they were doing at that particular point was appropriate. Um... So when they went past that alarm, they increased the dynamic braking setting. Shortly after that, the emergency brakes came on. Now, what they haven't said yet is, was that commanded in the cab, or did the fire on the truck burn through the pipe, release the air pressure, and that will apply the emergency brakes on the entire train? I'm going to say that that's what happened. That's my, I I mean, my assumption before we got this, trackside detector data was that that was where the emergency brake application came from. It was not from the cab. It was from loss of integrity of the air system. Uh, and that's what happens when that occurs. Okay, so that was, you know, and since we have video of the truck on fire, um, my assumption is that the pipe burned through, and that's what caused it. And but at that point, that they had a derailment in process was already happening. But you have, the fact that that happened probably caused the, the 30 cars to come off. Well, well just to back this may, up ahead. maybe or maybe it's the other way around chief because if you have a truck failure and it derails that truck okay then the then the damage from that coming apart is rather likely to sever the airline right but it, okay just to, just to go back from what I understand from my from my uh, years in the railroad stuff and from my brother tells me there's essentially three ways to, to stop a train you've got the locomotive dynamic braking, which essentially means you turn the electric motors the opposite way, correct? Right. And, right. Uh, but the, the locomotive also has regular brakes. Uh, as, as an independent that yeah. does not tie to the train's air system. Right. right. So you can. So what can happen is if you <clears throat> say, for instance, a, a mile-long train goes, train goes over a hill, <clears throat> well, somewhere down the hill, when you start getting more than halfway down the hill, You've got to apply brakes in the locomotive, or else the train is going to pull the other cars over the hill very rapidly. So there's dynamic braking, there's there's regular braking on the locomotive, and then there's your air braking on the train, which you cannot. You cannot. My brother confirmed this, but I think I knew anyway. You cannot direct one. The whole train either brakes or none of it brakes, because that's that's correct. It's, well, unless you have an engine on the other end, right? 
in which case you could you know you could you could essentially snatch break it from the back right but yeah but that's not this didn't have that so what happens is if if you either have air or you don't have air and it's, and it's kind of different than your car if you if, the, if there's no locomotive attached all the brakes are on right on every car so when you um pretty well much. Uh, uh, yeah, not really um so <laughs> the, the way train brakes works a little weird in that the tool valve that's on the car responds to the differential between the pressure in the airline and the pressure in the cylinder. There's a there's yeah. a storage, small storage cylinder on each car. But I'm saying you need you need essentially air from the locomotive to free up the train to move. Uh, it, it, yes, provided there's air in the cylinder. Right, right. On right. the on the tr- on the cars. The Correct. thing is, is that if you if you lower the pressure in the airline at the locomotive. You now use some of that air in the cylinder. You can get into a situation where there's none in the cylinder, there's none in the line, and you have no brakes. But but you, but if you just if the whole all the air escapes, essentially the brakes go on. Correct. That's if the, if the air in the in the line that goes from one end of the train to the other, where you know you have all those couplers between them. Yeah, if that line gets violated, and yet the couplers are connected yes. because there's valves in each end. Right. Okay. If those if those couplers are connected, but the line is violated, then yes, all the brakes go on. Right. So, if the the emergency braking happened probably not because they did it, but because it burned through that line. That would be, that's my expectation. Yeah, and the the more modern cars have dual cylinders uh, for storage on them. There's one for the regular service, and then there's a second that is there explicitly for emergencies. And the valve, if it sees a fast enough drop in the pressure assumes that something serious is wrong and it hits the second side of that storage cylinder so it's, it's basically a, a defense against running out of pressure in the primary side well my brother claims that since timken roller bearings have been used for the last 20 or 25 years the new models because this is really rare that's why you, you're, you're not going to see a 40 year old rail car on a regular train because if it hasn't been upgraded to the new roller bearings it's they're pretty idiot proof. He's 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 pretty stunned that this happened. I mean, I wonder what. Well, yeah, you got to You know, <laughs> all right. So you know, I I don't know if I told you. I don't know if I said this on the show, but uh, you know, GM uses Timken uh, roller bearings in the differentials. Okay. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a huge company. I had a differential failure in my truck. Uh, fortunately, caught it before it shredded everything inside. Pull it apart, and guess what I found in there? Uh, hope somebody's watch or something. <laughs> no, a, a a non-Timken race in the front pinion bearing. Really? Yep. So um, the actual cage and rollers and the the inner piece was Timken with Timken's marks on it. Timken stamps everything they make. Okay. Had the part number on it, and um, yeah, fine. The race, and, and by the way, the rollers were in serviceable condition when I took it apart. The race, on the other hand, looked like somebody had taken an angle grinder to it, and it had no Timken markings on it of any kind. So where did that come from, China? Well, good question, but you know, it was in there in 2002 when GM assembled this thing, and uh, 100,000 miles later, it failed. And and it was absolutely counterfeit. No qu- no question whatsoever. It was not an original part match to that re- that particular bearing. Let's go to break here, Colin. We'll come back. We'll have these uh, numbers. We're already starting to see the 
The S&P is starting to go down here. We'll be right back. We'll have a quick, uh, quick break. We'll be right back. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everyone. Back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell. Andrew on the board. I've got an abbreviated uh, uh, summary here. We got the S&P futures down 42. The S&P futures now down 162. Nobody likes these PC numbers. They came in. Uh, 0.6, I think they're supposed to be like 0.4 or something. And the core is the same way, 0.6. So they're coming in a little hot, just like the CPI did. Uh, we had the one month where we came back the other way, and now we're kind of sneaking the other way again. Uh, and why don't you give a real brief uh, what's going on on the other stuff, and then we'll dig, in, dig into these numbers, Carl and I. Okay, it is, uh, let's see, it is uh, February 24th. Right now it's 7.33 a.m. Uh, starting off with sports, uh, Tonight, the Bulls play the Nets at 7 p.m., the Suns play the Thunder at 9 p.m., and for hockey, the Blackhawks are going to be playing the Sharks tomorrow at 9 p.m. Uh, for Chicago weather, it's currently pretty sunny out, uh, 19 degrees, but it's going to go up to about 27 today. Over in Phoenix, they're at 44, mostly clear skies, going to go up to about 65. And finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, traffic is building on the major expressways. Um, there looks to be one accident out on the Tri-State Tollway uh, connecting to the Eisenhower, um, but not really many delays over there. Or actually, no, sorry, not an accident. That's just slow traffic on the exit ramp. So, just a little bit of regular traffic today. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. The, uh, what do you make of these numbers, Carl? I got, I got uh, .6, which is, like I said, somewhat hot. 
Um, uh, that's not somewhat hot. That's uh, compared to the that's that's a flat out reversal of the trend. Yeah, what's well, what, uh, I guess the, I should the, say. yeah, and that's and that's the problem is the PCE um, index was running two sequential months at two at point two uh, uh, on on headline. Okay, uh, excluding food and energy, it was point two point four, and now it's point six. The uh, the problem with these price indices is that there's there is absolutely zero indication in here that inflation is cooling down. This is exactly what I expected was going to happen. That we saw this little lull, and then the the impact of uh, Biden's "Let's Make Inflation Roar" act uh, was along with the omnibus that funded it was going to start showing up in the data, and here it is. Okay, we're. Uh what the Fed doing what they're doing, and again, you and I are probably in, in agreement that they're not maybe pushing as far but as maybe they should, because after what they did. But the money supply, even though it did tick up a little bit last month, or actually the balance sheet ticked up a little bit last week, it doesn't appear that they're going back to, we're giving you guys all the money for the infrastructure bill. Where, where's the money coming from? I mean, because it, well, it, looks, it looks like the Fed is actually doing what they say they're going to do. You, you and I might say they should do more, but the fact is that we're not seeing all of a sudden this week this, or this month some bulge or all, all of a sudden they reversed everything and kicked a whole bunch of money back over to the, to the you know, whatever, Congress, for lack of a better term. Oh, no, there's no, no, there's no evidence that they've reversed course at all. The problem is is that rates are still negative in real terms. What, uh... And, and that has to stop. Look, if, if we do not stop that, this this freight train has all the axles on fire and no brakes. Yeah, and it's going to lead to, you know, it, it keeps going down the road like the same way. But it, we, here, here's my, what I, what I sense, maybe because I was involved intimately with the stuff in the 70s and 80s, I sense it's a, it's a different issue, Carl. I mean, that was a starting from really 1968 it was too much money in the system like a little bit every year for a long time. Sort of right. like we've had since 2007 but totally unprecedented is this thing over the last three years where you had a 35% bulge in the money supply that in my estimation has driven virtually every price up somewhere near there. Somewhere between a th- roughly a third. Every place you go. I mean, a a glass of wine before COVID was seven bucks. Now it's ten. Well, guess what? That's thirty-three percent, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, right. Every, every place you go, it's about. I'm going to say uh, the, the 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 dollar coffee at McDonald's. Well, that's now like two and a quarter. So it's not even. Now I know dollar was a special, but what I what I what I don't. Uh, if I was in charge, Carl, of course I'd have to have you guys by my side. Uh, I I don't. I think that you can. They're almost at the point where they're going to stop inflation. You know, the, the, the car is not going to go from 40000 to forty one. I think they're, they're almost there, honestly. But I don't see how they, should they, can they? How do you, how do you address the 26000 to 40000 in the last three years and now nobody can afford one? I, I don't even know what to do there. I mean, I... I, I, I Chief, I, it has to come back out. And I know that nobody wants to hear that and nobody believes it. And the market is sitting here... At you know, thirty nine hundred and almost four thousand on the on the spoos right now, as a direct consequence, there is you cannot leave this as it is. They can't. 
Okay, so you're you're of that. By the way, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I you know I trust your opinion like a brother for God's sake, but I. It's it's so uneven. <clears throat> How can I put this <clears throat> politically correctly? If you don't, I won't even try. It's so uneven, Carl. The more expensive the restaurant, the more people are there. Some people I, have I, way I know, and you know what? But here's but here's the problem. This is this is how you know. This is what happens when you have this kind of an inflationary runaway. Okay, the people who are really at the you know at the, in the, in the so-called one percenters. Which is really probably more like the you know, point one percenters, right? Uh, they really made out like bandits in the last three years. Absolutely, well done. All right, they they are so flush right now that they're I mean, and they're laughing at the rest of us. Well, and anybody and who's had, anybody who has stock, we're still way up from the beginning of COVID. Not for long. Okay, I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking, <laughs> but I'm saying if if, if if you brought your argument to the table, okay, which by the way you have, and I, I'm with you on this. I, I'm not as convinced that letting it, no inflation or maybe a little bit less, play out for a couple of years might not be the solution. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not sold on that, Carl. But just another way of doing it. I don't know if it'd be the best way or not. But if somebody were to say to you, okay, you got asset prices up here to where you and I know. If, matter of fact, I heard a, I heard a uh, number last night that eighty percent of the people now have mortgages under four percent. If they right. had to buy their own house right now, they couldn't afford it. Correct. Okay, so my my, my question is, if someone were to flat out ask you, if, even if it's a one percenter, which I of course am not, but if I were to say, okay, so we do this and we collapse the market and we collapse home prices, how does that help anything? To, to, to cause to, to cause some pain for the one percenters and people who have four hundred one ks and so forth. I mean, I don't. Most people would say that's probably not a solution. Yeah, you and but, I know, but it is the because. But it is the only solution in the intermediate and longer term. And the reason is this: if you if you sell a bubble house and buy a bubble house, you've gained nothing. Right. Okay. You still have to have somewhere to live. So you got absolutely nothing out of that. The only person who wins from this is if you die. You don't need a house anymore because now you're eaten by worms, and your heirs, if they don't need a house because they already have one, they get the money. Right. Okay. Now that works out really well for them, but didn't do anything for you. If you're starting out, you're 23, 24. You just got married. You want to have a couple of kids. You're screwed. Oh, and doubt. the yeah. problem that you have with the system that, it, that we have today and with asset prices where they are today is that in another 20 years, 10 years, 20 years, those 20-year-olds had better their families. There isn't going to be a family. And when you get old and need somebody to help you wipe your butt, there ain't going to be nobody willing to do it. Right. Well, I, I get it. I just right. Well, this is this is the thing: is that nobody wants to take the short-term damage, which is basically reversing the flush times that we've had over the you know since since the Great Financial Crisis, since '08, which by the way was caused by the reaction to 2000. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. I guess what I mean, if I put, I'm going to say there's there's three three ways to do this on the on the page, Carl, and one is. And, and I, by the way, I happen to, I think I might agree with you, but I, 
there, there's going to be three ways to do it. We talked about it last night. I wish you were here. We had an adult beverage and blah, blah, blah. And the One of it is you maybe drag a couple of percent of the money supply out over the next few years and hope wages kept, catch up. Uh, that would be, and it, you can do this in a gradual manner where you the market stays stagnant and you hope profits, real profits, catch up and sorts of things like that. I don't know if that's doable. The other is you just say there's no inflation and you just go on from here and hope things right themselves in the next decade. I don't think, I agree with you, I don't know if that's doable. Uh, because, but what you're talking about is going to cause some shock. Now, Chief, if we don't, listen, if we don't do it and we don't get the, get the medical monster under control, Medicare runs out of money in two years. But, that's my, that's, that's, but this is my next, I'm going to say, not criticism of your plan here. I'm just just talking. I'm going to say here's my next uh, question about it. We we you and I are are, are are shall we say monetarists at heart. So we're going to say if you reverse this somehow you can you can take back a lot of the harm because we have so many areas in this in this country that are, I'm going to say are are fascist economically or 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 uh, oligopolies or monopolies or some combination of some garbage cartels. I don't think you ever come back evenly. I mean, I don't, I don't see the price of cars going from forty to twenty-six with with you know the car companies having their stranglehold or the go- and the government and all the other stuff. I don't see how that comes back. I don't see how the hospital bed, unless unless you and I take on that industry and make some changes there specifically to them. I don't. Where does the Fed have to go to forty percent inflation for the the price of a room or forty percent? Uh, uh, interest rates for the price of a room to go down from eleven thousand to seven, where it was five years ago. I mean, I, I don't. I see these areas that are so sticky, Carl. I don't see the. I don't see infant formula with only four people making it ever dropping twenty percent. Do you? I mean, where would the Fed have to go to cause those kinds of changes in those industries that are so? I'm going to say corruptibly monopolistic that that they're, they're, they they have to be busted up in the, along with it. I don't see how you can just do one and not the other. Can do you? No, you have to bust it all up. That's the whole problem. Is that we've we have embraced as a country the idea of something for nothing. We were sent to all of our critical in- industry offshore. We have we have essentially taken what used to be a bunch of skilled positions and replaced them with machinery to some extent. And and then we have on at the same time we've told people that they can all go to college and it doesn't matter whether they can even do fifth grade math. I, you know, I saw this in the 1990s. I had people that came in wanted a job for my company. They they were students at University of Chicago. Okay, and we're not talking about you know some some podunk college here that was you know just trying to pump numbers. This is U of C that could not do four function basic arithmetic on a piece of paper with a pencil. That's pretty scary. Uh, you just had you you have people right now that are running around that claim to be serious uh, people in the medical industry who who apparently somehow managed to get into med school without passing biochemistry and organic and without passing organic you're not supposed to be able to do that well if you did pass organic chemistry then you know that this stuff that was spilled in Ohio is not going to produce dioxins that are going to poison the entire eastern seaboard for the next hundred years. No, and and you know what? I had organic chemistry, and it took me five minutes to go back and look up the formula of this thing and figure it out. But you've got all these people running around screaming, claiming that this is true. 
this is what happens when you when you enable industries to essentially run cash furnaces with negative negative rates and stay in business. Well, here I uh, and I'm, I'm uh, as you know here I'm agreeing with you. I'm just kicking around all the side effects of what that would be. Well, it could be terrible. But you know, I mean, you know, one thing I know in the market, and why people say, "Why is this chief guy always bearish?" I'm not bearish. I want the economy to do well. I want companies to make more money every year. I want to be able to have buy stocks for my clients and every year make dough, make me look like a hero. And by the way, the next year they got more money. I get more commissions. <laughs> I mean, this is the right. way it's supposed to work. I'm, I'm not. I'm not against any of this. For God's sake, this is my livelihood. But the thing, I, but I, one thing I know for absolutely sure, Carl. If you have a bump, a bubble in a market, it races up and then it races down because of the vagaries of margins and all the kinds of crap and the way people get in love with these stocks. And this is going to sound weird. People lose a lot more money on the way down than they made on the way up. I mean, it, yes. And it and I don't know that anybody who's not been in the industry as long as I have or you know, knows as much about it as you, they think that if IBM goes to one hundred to two hundred on you know some whatever, maybe it shouldn't. And back to 100, well, you would say, what's the problem? We're right back where we started from. No, we're not. Yeah. No, no we're not. That's, not the, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because the margin loans, I guarantee, will be at a record high when it's at 200 and all this other kind of, you know, it's, it's just people are just, nobody just keeps their 1,000 shares, lets it go up and watches it go down. It's not the way it happens. And you're going right. to have, just, just like your house. If your house goes up and it comes back down, well, wait a minute, what about that? What about that second loan you you took over to pay off the credit cards or the boat? Well, now all of a sudden now you got a problem, right? Right, exactly. And that's and that's exactly the problem. Is that you know? I mean, it's everything is is all wonderful and uh, you know, and, and, and fruit smoothies right up until it's oh my god, we can't even afford a glass of water. Well, what if if the Fed? I mean, let's put it this way. Try my try my thing for a second. Let's just let's just double what the Fed's doing instead of going. Thirty-five billion a month off the balance sheet. There's going to go seventy. That's going to have a huge multiplier of effect, Carl, because people are going to pay mortgages. I mean, I'm going to say in the savings and loan world that I could understand. If Carl had a house, a six percent mortgage, he brought his mortgage payment in every month. There was all these people in there that had passbooks that were making three percent. I'll keep it simple, and the three percent was salaries, building, little league uniforms, and profit for the shareholders a little bit. And it, it was a, there was a circle to it that was very healthy. Well, now if the Fed, if all these mortgage payments essentially go to the Fed that own the mortgages, or a lot of them, and the money never never comes out of there, the multiplier effect, even if they go seventy billion a month, Carl, has got to be pretty dramatic, don't you think? Oh yeah, no. It's this is this is not going to be. I mean, there, there is no there is no pleasant way to do this. No. I think that's one of the things that needs to be kept in mind is that there isn't a pleasant way to do this. And I, you know, but I mean, I, take a look at this. I, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here as we're talking, you know, this PCE number comes out. This, ju- this house just listed here. Okay. Now in 2019, in fact, 12, 17, 2019. So just before COVID, this place sold for $294,000, which by the way is, is, a, a difficult ask for a couple on median incomes in this range, but it's doable. If, they're, right? if they're both working. If they're both working, right. On one income, you can count the jobs on the fingers of one hand that, that pay that well right. in this immediate area. Forget about it. But on two incomes, yeah, you can do it. It just listed yesterday for 599 
Well, good luck with that, would be what I'm thinking, but still. It's well, you know what? It's a, it's a nice-looking place, okay? But it is, it is a different layout and different design than what I have, but a, a little bit bigger, but not a huge amount, Five ninety nine, and uh, it, it, there, it, I don't know if they'll get it or not. But the reality is, is there's you want to talk about counting the fingers on one hand. The only person that's going to buy that is somebody who bailed out of Chicago and sold a million dollar place. I was just going to say, you're going to get somebody from Chicago, New York, that wants to retire to a nicer area, sells his place here for six hundred, and makes a trade. Okay, and you know what? That sounds wonderful, except for the the problem that comes up immediately is what happens when that guy needs to sell. Who's he sell to? Well, that's, that's always the problem. Who, 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 well, isn't, yeah. that, isn't that always the problem with stocks, though, too, right? You bought sure. the IBM at 200 who's going to give you 210 Well, it's like when the Fed, when it, with the Fed, <laughs> the Fed put, whenever, whenever the market was down, all of a sudden, miraculously, buyers showed up, the Fed put, you know, the, lo- the Lone Ranger's coming over to Hill, for those who remember what the Lone Ranger was. All of a sudden, one day, he doesn't come over to Hill, and then what? Right, exactly. I mean, you know, here's, uh, uh, there's... <laughs> This, this stuff's crazy, all right? I mean, it's, you know, there's another there's another house right around the corner from me. I, I know this one because I run by it every time, you know, when I go to a run. Um, uh, you know, 270 grand to, to 400 just showed up listed a couple of days ago. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's smaller than mine. Well, one of the guys who works at NFO, uh, and I talk to him 10 times a day because he uh, manages a lot of the money he brings in, but he's, I think he's in, might be in Charlotte. Somewhere nice area in South Carolina, and uh, and he says the houses were so ridiculous. He just bought one. He says now they're coming down by like twenty five grand a week. Did you happen to catch that number yesterday? That uh, the in the now this hasn't happened in Chicago, especially where Audrey is. There's there's not very many houses for sale, so the prices. I think they've stopped going up, Carl, but they they maybe have come down a little bit. But now, yeah, well, we we've got then again this area, same thing. Okay, there hasn't been the the collapse hasn't come yet on price. But then again, this time of year there is normally nothing on the market, and that is you know. The, so I mean that that there's a dearth of inventory right now is not unusual for this time of year. Give it another two months, and we'll talk about that. But they, somebody, some study just came out yesterday. I was listening to it on the radio on the way home last night. Two point three trillion dollars has come out of house housing values in the last month. Oh yeah, and it's not over. But evidently, some places in California, San Francisco, is went from the highest to like they're they're going down as fast as they can. I mean, they were so ridiculously high, nobody could buy. I get that part. But I right. but I think you know you know what I I think you're absolutely right, Carl. You know, there was a time in this country, uh, and boy, you might be the only person that maybe can answer this question. There was a time in this country where you had a, de- a deflationary situation and actually the the uh, GDP was going up dramatically you can you you weren't I'm not gonna say remember because you weren't alive so there's a hint when that was well uh, that, that that would have been well you're talking after 2021 now earlier than that that's why I'm way too I mean, it's it's too hard. Uh, okay because 20 because 2021 was a was a really interesting dislocation when the Fed stayed out of it and it was over inside of 12 months. Uh, but the, it was the largest deflationary move in American economic history. Uh, and and had it lasted for a substantial period of time, we would have called it the worst depression in the history of the United States. The Fed stayed out of it, and it then, uh, the largest, at the time they called it GNP, not GDP, they were measuring it differently. Uh, it was the largest, year-over-year 
increase and improvement in economic conditions ever recorded. You can't, you can't be talking about 2021. It was COVID year. No, 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 no. 1921. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Right. And this is and this was a and it was it was seeded by the stupidity in the railroad expansion and silver and you know the gold rush and all that other nonsense and and it was a huge crash it was a, you know and and then and, and of course end of the war too right right and and way too much capacity boom everything blows up everyone wanted the fed to get involved the fed which was brand new at the time because you know it had just been constituted in 1913 they said nope we're not doing it. We're not bailing you guys out. Too bad. Take your lumps. You did stupid things. Pay the stupid price. And, and, and but <laughs> 12 months later, everybody was singing a different song. We had the Roaring Twenties. Well, we had, well, the Roaring Twenties were, again, very uneven. Well, of course they were, yeah, but you know yeah. what? It all came back and bounced out on its own. Well, the, uh, after the Civil War. Of course, we, of course, then, then, you know, we got 1929 and what followed that, right? Yeah. Well, we, after the Civil War, the, the actually the federal government the the union side which is the federal government only increased the money supply by ten percent a year during wartime so they they, yeah. they increased the money supply way less than we did during COVID like not even close so so they went off the gold standard which everybody always did whenever you put money in the system and then but after the war they wanted to get back on the gold system so they essentially went out and and. I won't use the term bought. They they drain the greenbacks out of the system, right? And and you actually had negative inflation for probably three or four years, but the the uh, amount of production increases were dramatic. You can have negative inflation and have uh, production increases and have a, have a booming economy because one oh, is yeah. totally separate. So they did. Now here, but here I I think here's my problem. I I I would love to find a way. To not use your medicine, yet I almost can't, Carl. I mean, I guess I, if if you did it gradually, you'd have to be pretty fast, gradual, and almost get you to the same place. But my concerns are, as I've said many days now, I think you've priced eighty percent of the population out of ever owning a new car. I don't see myself ever buying a new truck at these prices. I'm not going to pay. Well, and I said, you know, I can't afford it, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, I, I could probably pull it off too. But eighty grand for a truck. See ya, buddy. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know what they're smoking, right? Yeah, I mean, what do you so, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, whatever it is, it's a lot stronger than that legal stuff up there in Illinois. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I mean, it, I think we're, I mean, what, what the the regular, you know, I'm I, first of all, I got I, I got guys that can fix it. Plus, I like tinkering around with old stuff anyway. So I could I can go out and buy a 15 year old truck for you know 12, 13 grand, a nice place, and you know if there's anything wrong with it, I'll get it fixed, and, and I can drive it for a hundred thousand miles, and I'll do it all over again, you know, and sell it for seven. I mean. But, you know, I, the idea of walking into a Jeep dealership and paying sixty-five grand for a, for a Jeep Wrangler, I mean, I, I can't imagine myself ever doing that. Yet these, well, these, these people are on drugs, but the problem is, is that if you tell them that that's got to go away, oh, my God, the screaming starts. Well, I mean, also, but I think and, a regular... You know what? But, but here's the thing, Chief. You can, either, you can either take this... We can either take this medicine and we can solve this, or sometime in the next couple of years... The wheels are going to come off the medical system, and it's not fixable right. because we are running an eighty percent cash deficit in CMS right now. And that well, that doesn't even count the the rest of the population that doesn't have negotiated rates like Medicare. What are they getting screwed by these people? 
Oh, much worse, and that's the whole problem, yeah. though, is that you have, it's, you know, and I, this is why I've been screaming about this since the 1990s when I was running MCS, and I saw this in the data, saw this trend in the data. It said, this is going to blow up the world if we do not put a stop to it. And it not only not put a stop to it, we've made it worse with Obamacare and all the, you know, and all the other nonsense. Well, and then COVID, you, you know, the, the pandemic's over, but that 20% bonus, if you go in there and you test positive, is still there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, one of the guys, everybody, you know, everybody's had some issues health-wise as our, as our, our, our caucus table is getting older. But a couple of guys, one guy had a broken ankle this year, unfortunately. He fell off his bike and, uh. That's a rather standard injury, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, he he went to a, you know, I, I shouldn't say this because I don't know exactly. But he went he went to a surg- surgical center, not even in the hospital, and uh, I think it was forty five, fifty grand, forty grand. I mean, God, Carl, if you do it, if you do a cost of, you know, I used to be a cost account. If you take, if you if you give everybody working on the guy a week's pay, it took like an hour and a half, two hours. Give him a week's pay. It doesn't come close to fifty. I mean, what what, what overhead rate are we using? A thousand percent, two thousand? What are we doing? Yeah, well, what he should, of course, probably couldn't at that point because his, you know, his leg screwed up. Should have gone down to the surgery center of Oklahoma. Probably would have cost him five grand out the door. Well, I mean, I'm saying these numbers are, are are absolutely to the moon, Alice. And but I mean, I I don't now now for for Audrey. I mean, my significant other, Audrey, puts a boatload of miles on her car every. Every year, and, 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 right. and I don't want her breaking down in some horrible neighborhood. Plus, if she has to take somebody for a ride, I want her in something nice. I'm not going to have her drive somebody around in my suburban. Now she needs, you know, like this year or next year, she she's going to need a new car, and you know, she right. has something nice. She has a Cadillac or a Buick or something. I'm not, you know, uh, even even a you know something nice. And I, what's eighty grand, ninety? I mean, really? I mean, I. I I just can't even. I can't even conceive of that. I mean, what, well, the, the problem is the imputed cost that puts in people like Audrey's, uh, you know, job. Yeah. Okay. It's it, this is this is why the inflationary impulse cannot be left in the system. It has to be backed out because if it isn't, it it puts that imputed cost in everybody's economic situation around them. You may think it doesn't hit you. You're wrong. It does. Because the person who you have to come out and unclog your drain had to buy a truck yep. oh, yeah. in order to hold his tools. And oh, by the way, the truck was three times as expensive as it should have been. Yeah, well, we got to dash your car. And I, 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 I'm uh, aggravated to say that I can't, I've not put up a good enough argument against you. I think you're right. But boy, that's, that's going to be a painful deal, boy, if this market drops <laughs> Yes, it, well, it's going to bite, and I, you know, that's what I've been trying to warn people is that there's there isn't a cheap way out of this. Well, I just hope that I'll maintain my puts for my people. God, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> SP futures down fifty one. On that happy note, buy puts. <laughs> Nasdaq futures up down two eleven. Uh, this is because of this uh, hot CPI or uh, PCE number back on Monday. Stocks and jacks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. 
Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. ChiroMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.